Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And this week, we're going to begin a, part, a series on the life of Jacob. And actually, it was subtitled, The Striving, Rushing, Manipulating God Follower. We could actually say The Striving, Rushing, Manipulating Leader. Uh, that's why he's so relatable. And so we're going to listen to a few sermons uh, based on his life out of a series I did. And actually, the name Jacob means grabber or grasper. So I so relate to him, and I trust you can relate to him as well. He wanted to get by by manipulating and controlling what actually God wanted to give him as a gift. And he struggled, he finagled, he twisted, he he strived. It took him a very, very long time to actually begin to learn to actually trust God, wait, wait on God, and do leadership. Uh, God's way. Because true leadership is not about grabbing. It's not about controlling or striving or manipulating out of fear. But fear is so powerful, has such a uh, a hold on so many of us. I know myself, I just can think of story after story of making decisions based on fear rather than actually a place of rest and trust and letting go. And that great dynamic of leading and yet at the same time from a place of rest and stillness and, and trust. There's just so much here. And so this uh, first part, one of Hard Lessons from the Life of Jacob, Jacob brings a, a timeless truth to us. And we're going to pick it up in the story of his bro- with his brother Esau as he manipulates the blessing, uh, a blessing that really God wanted to give him, but he manipulates it and actually takes it out of Genesis chapter 25. So enjoy uh, this wonderful, wonderful text today. How many of you came this morning, you, you, you know, checked your phone, you checked your email, you kind of rushed around getting your kids ready, perhaps, uh, before you came. And I even watched some of you trickle in after 11.15, you know, kind of frantic. But I'd like to begin this morning with silence. And uh, so I want you to put your hands on your thighs and with your palms open and up. All right, so hands on your thighs, palms open and up. And I want to invite you to close your eyes and be aware and be present to God who is here. God is present and God is here. And now I invite you to scan your body, maybe stiffness, any weightiness, maybe anxiety. Hold that in your hand, your worries and your concerns as you open them up and offer them back to God. And bring all your emails that aren't answered and the phone calls that you've not returned and all the things that you're not getting done this morning because you're here. Just let them go. Bring all your relationships and losses all your responsibilities, your expectations that people have of you. Bring your reality, the whole of your life, the whole of who you are, the weight of that. Just bring that to God with your palm open before him. In fact, I invite you, as you feel ready, to turn your, hand, turn your hands over on your thighs. In a sense, of you turn them over, you're letting go. 
of all this into God's hands. Now, the only place you can be is here. So let go of what you can't do, can't fix, can't control now. God will take care of it for the next 45 minutes. Now, all these things you're dropping into Jesus' hands. Remember, those hands are wounded hands, so let your pain go there to him. And so now, finally, I invite you to turn your hands up on your thighs, upwards towards heaven again, and in a very simple way, say to the Lord with me, Lord, I am here. Give me ears to hear. And so speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we just did a little exercise in being still before God. And it's the very opposite of the life of Jacob. He was not still or surrendered to God by any means. And and uh, Jacob, today we begin a series, a six-week series on the life of Jacob. And, and Jacob is, he's just like me, and he's just like you. And his life is the opposite of stillness uh, before God. And uh, he's, I, I didn't know what to call this message. I had about, you know, 20 titles for it. And I ended up saying, here's the striving, rushing, manipulating Jacob, just like us. And, uh, you know, he comes from a very dysfunctional family. I mean, as we'll read about in the next six weeks, his, his father is emotionally distant. His mother is overbearing. His brother, his older brother is overpowering. He's got two wives, and he can't please either one of them. He has a manipulative father-in-law, and he's got children who hate each other. You think you have problems. This guy's got a lot of problems. Now, his name, as you'll notice on the, on the overhead behind me, his name means cheat or deceiver, or grabber. I like the word grabber as a one great translation. He, it's just, he just grabs. He, he's manipulative. He, you'll, you'll see he's aggressive. He, he, he's a liar. Uh, he kind of skims on the truth a lot. He's, he's very restless. Uh, his life is spent making things happen. He grows up trying to make things happen. He, he, let me tell you something. I wouldn't let him be a small group leader at New Life Fellowship. In fact, he would definitely not be on staff, and he would not be on the elder board. Uh, I mean, he is really, uh, you almost wonder when you read about his life, and I hope some of you began reading it last week, uh, what's this guy doing in the Bible? Uh, But you see, God wanted to give Jacob the grabber. Jacob the grabber, Jacob the striver, Jacob the manipulator, Jacob the control freak. God wanted to give Jacob great blessings and and, and a a wonderful future. But what God wanted to give him, uh, Jacob wasn't sure God would come through. So Jacob said, I'll get it. And I'll grab it and, uh, by manipulation and control just in case God doesn't show up. I mean, Jacob's like us. He, he knows God is good, God is loving, God is all-powerful. And he just wants to make sure that love and power shows up to him. It's like he knows everybody else will probably get it. But just in case I don't, I'll help God and, and I'll make it happen. And as we'll see, 
that's his life. So, so, but, but Jacob ends up living out his name. His name means cheat and grabber. And as you'll see, he lives that out very much. Uh, until the end of his life, uh, God changes his name and he does get transformed. And God is going to bring Jacob to a place of stillness and a place of rest in being his child. But it's going to take a lot to get Jacob to be still. God is going to have to wrestle him to the ground. Because like us, he's a striver, he's a manipulator, he's a control freak. And, and uh, it's going to take him getting bruised by God, you know, getting a good hip replacement. Uh, he's going he's to hurt himself. He's going to reap a lot of consequences of his actions. Uh, and he's he's going to have two, two marriages, 13 kids. He's going to live in three different countries. But God will finally get him to be still and to surrender. But I, I tell you, I've been, I, 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 I've been so moved by my study in, in Jacob and preparing for this because he is so much like me. I, I mean, I, I relate to him too much. And he's all of us. Uh, his life is very messy. You'll see a lot of conflict in his family. And, and he's very ordinary, but he, he's meeting God in the mess of life. It's not a super otherworldly spirituality. It, it's a very earthy life. And and he's on a journey. He's traveling just like us, and he's messy. But God transforms him. God brings him finally to stillness and, and rest, but it just takes a lot to get him there. And as we were doing the series on the Our Father for 12, 13 weeks, I, I realized that the Our Father invites us to a place of stillness to be before God and to enjoy him. Jacob is the reality of how most of us live our lives. I mean, Jacob is us, and he's the direct opposite of the Our Father. Uh, and so... Before we, we read this text, I, I just want, want you to, to notice that he is, he's chosen by God. He's destined, just like you. God's hand is on him. He, he's a twin. Isaac's his father, and, and uh, he's the youngest of the twins. And he comes out of the womb, and he's holding on to his brother's heel, his older brother Esau, and he's the younger of the two. But God says to Jacob, basically, you're blessed. You're chosen. I've got a great destiny for you. I've got a land for you. I've got security for you. I've got fertility for you. I've got prosperity for you. Trust me. Basically, be still and surrender to me. And I love you, God says. I, I, I'm with you. I welcome you in my presence. And I've got a purpose. The purpose of Abraham and Isaac is now yours. A purpose and a mission to transform nations. Your life is not an accident. So he's got this great, great promise of God over his life, this great love of God over his life. Uh, and uh, But we're going to see in just a moment how he just can't be still to receive it. And he just has to go and take things into his own hands. So you'll notice, for example, in verse 27, right before our text, we're going to begin in verse 29, it says that Jacob was a quiet man, staying among tents. Now, his older brother Esau is a hunter, kind of a Rambo type. You know, he, he, he's kind of a wild game and a hunter, outdoorsman. Jacob is an, an introvert. He's apparently shy. He's, he's spoiled by his mother. He's a homebody. He's, uh, he's intense. If you're conscientious here, he's very conscientious about details. And, uh, and so it says he's quiet and he stays among tents. And so now as they move through life and they're into adulthood now, we're going to begin reading in verse 29 where we, we see an instance of the kind of person he is in the story of Esau, his brother, and Jacob. So let's read verse 29, Genesis chapter 25. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was 
called Edom. Jacob replied, verse 31, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and he left. So let me just say a couple words about Esau before I go into Jacob because I really had a whole other sermon on Esau. But the series is on Jacob and I I can't give you that other sermon. I had another sermon. I kept cutting it, cutting it, cutting it. But let me just make one comment about Esau before I move into the heart, heart of our sermon. Because uh, some of you are like Esau. You were raised in a Christian home. You were raised around great blessings. Maybe you, you, your mother or father were, were Christians, or maybe you, you heard about Christ very early on in your years. Or even as a young person, you were exposed to the gospel and all the riches of Christianity. But Esau here is an example of someone who, who has a great inheritance, a great blessing all around him, but he basically wastes it. He throws it aside, and um, he despises, basically, his family and his family upbringing around God, the living God. And so we don't know. He says here, Esau comes in, he's, he's, he's hungry, he's, he's famished. We don't know if he's starving to death or what. But um, as far as he's concerned, his birthright, which a birthright had to do with the fact that your family name, he was the oldest brother, which meant two-thirds of the inheritance was his. He's the firstborn, very privileged position in the family. He's carrying on, as scholars would say, his father's embodiment of his father's faith and his father's strength. But he could care less about his father's faith and strength. And so now, uh, basically, he's hungry. He doesn't care about his birthright. He throws it out the window for a bowl of stew. And uh, it's very interesting how, you know, he, he misses a great blessings, great, great opportunity. And in verse 34, it says, you know, he sells his birthright. He gets some, he eats, he drinks, he gets up, he leaves, and he despises his birthright. He shows contempt for his family. Some of you here in this room, you know what? You're like Esau. You have contempt for your family growing up and the kind of spirituality you were exposed to, perhaps. But God had a blessing for you in the midst of it all. And the great story of Esau is it's, it's you know, explained in Hebrews chapter 12 is don't be like Esau and sell your birthright out for some immediate pleasure. As I ponder Esau's life, I can think of many people even started out with Christ at a young age, but then got into their career, building their career for God or building their career and got caught up in trying to make money and they threw God out the window. Or maybe started getting into sex or drugs or alcohol and again just said, who cares about all that? Or said, I'm so concerned about what people think of me and have just a, a desire to, to be approved or drivenness to be somebody and, again, despise their birthright like, like, um, like Esau. Or came to a point in college or, or after college saying, I want to be popular with my friends, and, again, despised it. So you may be an Esau here in this room, and if you are, I pray you hear this word. And you know what? Do not be like Esau, but persevere and hang in there because God's got something great for you. God had something great for Esau, but he threw it away. But that's not my message. So push it away. But I had to say it. Jacob. Jacob is. Now, Jacob is a bum. Uh, Here's Jacob in a culture. He's the youngest brother and in a culture which is very hospitable and warm, you know, Arab culture, ancient Near East culture. And uh, he's cooking stew. And and he's a very wealthy family. So probably he's overseeing the cooks, the other shepherds and herders. He's out there in a field because his job was pretty much taking care of the, the sheep. And uh, here comes his younger brother, his older brother Esau, who's starving, who's hungry, and, and he asked for some food. Uh, and obviously, Jacob has been thinking about this for a while. He, he, how he's going to basically grab hold of this blessing of being the firstborn that Esau has. And uh, so he plays on Esau's weakness, uh, and he, he basically, he must have been obsessed for years on this thing. 
And he offers a transaction. He says, okay, listen, I'll give you the food, but give me your birthright. For give me the two-thirds of your inheritance, you know, the father's blessing, I want it. And then Esau says, who cares? Yeah, you can have it. And then, you know, Jacob's like a good lawyer. Let's swear an oath. Let, let's get a notary and let's sign this thing so it's sealed. I mean, this is his brother. I mean, do you want to, I, I don't even want Jacob as a friend, let alone in my family. I mean, this is his twin brother. And so he, he, he makes him sign an oath and he, and he gets the birthright. And you know, he rushes, he manipulates, he lies. He, he, he's, he's so concerned that God won't take care of him because he's thinking, yes, God promised me security and prosperity and blessing and all that, but you know what? The way I look at it right now, the odds are stacked against me. I'm the youngest. This has been going on for years. Nothing's changed. Esau's got the blessing and the money and the security. He's got all, I have nothing. In fact, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. If God loved me, I should have been the firstborn, not the one at the bottom. And so he's, he's thinking all this through and saying, I, I don't want to be second. And so finally, he, he pretends he, he doesn't want to be the number two son anymore. And uh, he's not trusting God's promises. He's not listening to God. He's not being still before God. He's not relying on God. He's like, you know what? I'm sure God's got blessings for me, but I'm going to grab it. I'm going to take it. And he does. And uh, he exploits Esau. He's what we would call today a narcissist. He is heartless. I mean, I... I mean, I can't believe this is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, one of the great men of God in all Scripture. And, and, uh, but he is determined to get that blessing. In other words, two things I'm going to offer you this morning that God was inviting Jacob to do and how God was inviting Jacob to live. And that's his invitation to us. Because Jacob is us, manipulating, striving, trying to make it happen. Uh, but there, there's two things God's asking him to do. And, and they go against his lifelong genetic makeup. I mean, Jacob, in his nature, is a striver, conniver, deceiver, control freak. It's his DNA, just like for many of us. And God is going to have to, God is going to transform him, just like God's going to transform us. But here's the invitation. There's two things, okay? The first is stillness. He invites Jacob to be still before the Lord, and wait for God to bless him, for God to guide him and lead him. Now, I, ho- I hope you know that there's anything is easier than being still. I mean, I'll do anything. Just don't ask me to do nothing. Now, stillness can be defined. I mean, just you know, over 40 times in the Bible, we are invited to be still before God. And it's an invitation. And really, it can be defined as intentional Stillness is intentional inactivity. Intentional inactivity. Can you think of anything more difficult than that? So you see, Jacob's here, and God's inviting him to be still and to wait. Just, just give him the stew. Just, I will take care. I promise you I'll take care of you. Don't grab this thing. Don't make it happen. Don't pretend. Don't, don't control it. And um, you see, Jacob needed to stop and be still to look at God. And when you stop and be still to look at God, you realize that God's looking at you. God's got his gaze upon you. You know, because when I'm still, I'm naked, I'm bare, and God's transforming power has a chance to grab me. You know that verse, Psalm 46:10, be still and know that I am God. It's the being still that enables me to know that I'm God. 
I wrote this line up there. I thought it really, it kind of, it kind of captures it. You see, God's trying to get Jacob to understand true spirituality, which is true spirituality is not grabbing. It's not controlling. It's not striving. It is not manipulating out of fear, which, let's face it, it's most of our lives. That's not true spirituality. But it's letting go. It's resting. It is being still. And it's trusting God. That's true spirituality. Now, the world we live in is all about production. It's all about doing. It's all about making more money. It's all about, you know, reaching our goals. You know, you are what you do. And again, anything's easier than being still. So when I think of my kids, my own children, I have four girls, as you know, it's much easier to hold on and, and be anxious and controlling about each of my girls' future as a parent. And you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Then it is to be still, let go, and trust God to guide them and lead them and let them make their own mistakes. It's much easier at New Life Fellowship to be the senior pastor and basically make things happen and control the church and make sure everything's, you know, going just the right way, and, which is my way, of course. And, you know, everybody's happy and there's no weird detours. And then to wait on God and let there be kind of, you know, confusion or like, well, we're not sure about that and not going for every opportunity that comes your way. It's much easier when we're going through a dark night of the soul difficulty in our Christian life and you're wondering where God is and why he's taking so long. It's much easier to grab onto some solution to fix it and at least ease the pain immediately than it is to wait on God and be still before him and wait patiently for him. It's much easier, isn't it, when you're, when you're waiting for guidance? God, open a door for me. I sense this thing is over. You know, you got something new for me, and you're praying about a specific situation. Isn't it much easier when you're waiting to say, you know what? Nothing's happening. So you just, hey, something's better than nothing. So I'll just grab some solution. You know, God can't, mar- what is it? God can't steer a car that's parked. No, that's parked. I got the quote wrong. God can't steer a parked car. It's some Irish proverb or something. We make it a biblical proverb, you know. So I'm just moving. I'm, I'm moving somewhere. But really, it's, it's born out of fear, and it's born out of anxiety like Jacob, and so we're going to make something happen just in case. Listen, it's much easier for me to, to – I don't like change. So God's all about change. In fact, what's interesting, God calls Jacob to stillness and surrender, but his life is constant movement. God is moving him always and moving him to the promised land, and God's moving all of us. But he's to do it in a heart attitude of stillness. But I find it's easier when God's trying to move me. I'd rather stay miserable where I am, because at least I'm comfortable with that and I know what's going on, than God leading me to somewhere I don't know where it's going and I'm uncomfortable. It's just easier to be manic and angry at God because I don't like the way God's acting and how he's acting and when he's acting. So, so I'd rather get manic because it's easier than it is to be still and wait patiently for him. Now, how many of you know the consequences of striving and controlling and manipulating? You've done it in your life. You, 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 you stop and pause. I, I did it here. I made it happen. And you birthed Ishmael's left and right. You've got a whole orphanage of Ishmael's in your house. The interesting thing is Jacob does not experience immediate consequences of his striving at all here. I mean, he, and most of the time when we control and manipulate and grab, we don't experience immediate consequences. They come much later at God's time, his right time. Now, God will get your attention, and 
he knows when that should be. But what's interesting is Jacob never enjoys the blessing that he grabs until he's still before God. And he does pay a terrible price for manipulating and grabbing and striving and rushing and running ahead of God. It would take, it's going to take, you'll see in the weeks to come, it takes a lot to transform Jacob. But you know what? It takes a lot to transform us too. Now just think with me for a minute of of, of the seed. Remember that Jesus said the, the, the word of God is like a seed? Okay, it's powerful in and of itself. And, I, and, and you see, think of a seed in the ground. A seed, you can't dynamite a seed. I mean, a seed has power, but it needs the right environment for it to grow. Try to plant a seed, and that seed is move, you're always moving the seed around. It's never going to take root. Without stillness, that seed's power is locked in that seed. It requires the right kind of soil the right kind of stillness. If you remember that, that parable, union with the, the, the soil and the seed are both needed. But even the seed of Jesus is not powerful, powerful enough to transform you without you. That's the point of the sower and the seed. Yeah, the seed, the word of God is powerful. It'll transform anybody's life, but it's got to find the right soil. And so remember the shallow soil and the thorny soil and, 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 the, and the, um, the thorns and the shallowness and the um, hard soil. It was worthless. It was useless. But it's easier, friends, to be your own savior than it is to be still. I know. I'd rather save myself than wait for God. It takes too long. And sometimes it's too confusing. So it's not that I don't study for tests as you're trying to get into school or or do your homework or or earn money or or saving or, or, or make plans and goals for your career. It's not that you don't do things. The question is the spirit in which you're living your life. Is it born out of fear and anxiety, and striving, and controlling. Listen, I've been pondering this now for weeks. Stillness, okay? God's calling Jacob to stillness. Okay, God, I'm going to be still before you. This morning, I went to buy a bagel for a friend. And I said, okay. So I'm, I'm in my mind, you know, be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Like David, I have stilled and quieted my soul. Okay, I'm not going to be like Jacob. not going to grab, not going to grab. So I get to the bagel shop. And first, I, 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 it's a long line. So I'm like, okay, I can do this. So the newspaper stand is right next to where I'm standing on line, and the headline is about the terror plot that they uh, just uncovered at Kennedy Airport, right? So I'm thinking, oh, Jerry, Jerry was away for the weekend with some friends, and she was flying in this morning. I said, oh, I'm, that's good. I, I guess I can trust the FBI with my wife's life. I'm glad they uncovered the plot. So, of course, they're taking a very long time for my bagel. So I said, all right, I'll get my coffee. So I go to get my coffee, and the person in front of me is going very slow, trying to discern, does he, does he use skim or half and half or full milk? Does he have decaf or regular? And I'm saying to myself, this isn't going well. <laughs> so I finally escaped that, and I got to drive to church, and I don't know about your route to church if you drive, but the lights are not synchronized. Whoever's in charge of that department for the city, I, I, I don't know. I want to write. I, mean, I, I know they're God's instrument for me. But, you know, it's very frustrating when you catch the light and then you realize they're all not synchronized and this is taking a very long time. But I'm being still like Jacob before the Lord because I know God loves me and God's got everything under control. 
And, um, and yesterday, I, I took my mom out to lunch. That didn't go well either. Of course, I've had this in my mind because, you know, I'd read an article recently about it takes an average of 50 seconds to get fast food and a few minutes to consume it. Well, first of all, we were on the Tex barbecue at the fast food place at the mall that my mom likes, and it wasn't 50 seconds. It was more like 10 to 15 minutes. And I realized I was having a little knot in my stomach, and then my mom does not eat in two to three minutes anymore. She's now almost 84. So it was a good 15 to 20-minute meal at Tex barbecue chicken. What I'm saying is I, I, I see Jacob, and I, I relate to Jacob. I mean, I, I'm like, I, I understand. It, it preaches really well. It lives slowly. I mean, even the sermon, I, and I, I had, this, this is a kind of the first message of the series. And I, had, I had so much about Jacob, you know, about, about, you know, for this first message. I was like, oh, and I, and I realized I was, I was anxious and controlling, and I had a few choice words for God in process to, to make this, you know, slim this thing down and make it tight enough as we approach this morning. And then on top of that, my neighbors are from Lebanon. They're, they're very strict Muslims. And they recently moved in from the, the Lebanon. And uh, they, they like to have parties a lot. And they generally will have a barbecue at midnight. And they, they're very relaxed. I mean, they, they're, they will have really easily six, eight hours hanging out. They're a very large family and all their friends. And, and I'm looking out the window. I was like, what do what these people do? I mean, of course, I'm the pastor <laughs> preaching on stillness, and they're laughing over there at the barbecue. I mean, most of us, we, we like the idea of having a spiritual life. We just want to be in charge of it, and we want it to unfold according to our schedule, much like Jacob. And uh, I, I want you to hear this. Stillness is a death. This is so countercultural to the West and to the U.S. and to New York City. Stillness, friends, is like an act of revolution. And it is a death to stop and be still before the Lord. Whether it's, whether it's a midday office or a Sabbath or, or at a coffee shop or at work, to be still before God, friends. I, I, you know, Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you, Moses said. You have only to be still. It's like, little Lord, let me do something in case Pharaoh's troops are coming. Let me get my BB gun ready. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. I know, but suppose you don't. Just in case, like Jacob, I'll be ready. So that's number one. Let me, let me, let me just, let me try to move on to the second one quickly. So it's, the invitation is really, it's two. It's not just stillness. Closely related to that is God invites Jacob to surrender, to surrender to his, God's love for him. And, uh, you know, they're, 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 Jacob doesn't. I mean, to surrender to his love would have been, okay, Esau's coming for food. I've been waiting years for this blessing God's talking about. But, Lord, I know you made me. You've chosen me. You've had your hand upon me. You're, you, you've engraved me in the palm of your hand. You love me, and I surrender to your love. I'm not going to take things in my own hands by manipulating his weakness and grabbing this thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I you know, a lot of, it's very hard for me to receive God's perfect love. And I, I got the verse there from 1 John 4.18. There's no fear in love. But anyways, we, our, our life is driven by fears, and we make decisions out of anxiety over and over and over again. And John writes, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. When you, when you experience God's perfect love, when you surrender to it, it actually melts your anxiety, and you make different kinds of decisions. 
you, your timing slows down. Well, the words that come out of your mouth are not quite as sharp. But if you're like me, I often feel guilt because I know I'm not, you know, things I've failed God and I have things I've done. And, and it's usually not conscious, but it's kind of like, you know, I deserve punishment. And, and this idea of God's perfect love and, and uh, you know, it's just it's hard to, to breathe. I, I didn't get that in my family. Our culture doesn't do it. You get what you deserve. You mess up, you pay for it. Say a hundred, you know, our fathers. And, and uh, you know, it's like getting whacked in grammar school. And, and, but this idea of unconditional, perfect love from God, for most of us in this room, it's terrifying. We'd much rather have a boss, you know, you reap what you sow, boom, boom, boom. But God's perfect love, which is so unbelievable, friends, is scary. To live surrendered to it. That's why Jacob wants no part of it. He'd rather just run his own life. Yeah, he'll worship God who's love, but living it's a different story. The image that I like and that I use often is that of a river. And God's love is like a great, mighty river. And I am to float on that river of God's love and let it carry me. And I'm basically to put my weight of my life on the river, releasing effort and tension and striving. I don't bang at the river. I don't try to swim upstream from the river. I don't yell at the river. I don't direct, try to direct the river a certain way. I let the river of God's love for me, I surrender to it. I let it carry me through life wherever it may go. And, um, but most of the time, we are swimming on our own energy. We're exhausted and we're, we're frustrated. Um, but th- this, we're, we're invited, friends, to surrender to our will to God. But that requires surrendering to his love, which then I can trust him with my will. Jacob's will is so stubborn. I mean, he's just, he is tightly wound. It's his way. So he doesn't pray too often, God, your will be done, your kingdom come. It's kind of like, yeah, God, your will, but mine, by the way, and my will and my kingdom. And, 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 but it's that, tr- it's that surrender to the love of God which enables me to actually lay down my willfulness and stubbornness. So, what, what, what this requires is that we begin to just meditate on this, on God and his love for us and, and scriptures and, and, and allowing his love through scripture and other means to just wash us. And, you know, we have all these films, tens of thousands of miles of films of you'll get what you deserve, you're no good, God won't come through for you, you're a loser. You're going to pay for that. Don't trust God. Take things in your own hand. No one, in, no one on this earth is ever taking care of you. You better take care of yourself. And all these films are in your head. And friends, it is, a, it is a journey of a lifetime to learn to be still and to surrender to God. And so it requires taking scriptures. We just finished the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven. Ah, Abba in the heavens. And just be still and surrender to the true and living God, his true image. You know, I, I, I take verses like Ephesians 3 and, oh, God, I pray that I might know the height and the, I may have power that, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus that surpasses knowledge. And I, I just spend some time and just meditate and let it wash over me. Or, you know, or, or, or Isaiah 49, I've engraved you, see, in the palms of my hands. Like, oh, God, you've engraved me in the palm of your hands. I can relax. I don't got to flip out right now about this guy who's taking so long with the coffee. I'll make it to church. It'll work, you know. And the Lord says, you know, Pete, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. So listen, coming to, to be still, I wish there was a zap. If we had a zap, I would definitely copyright it. 
I would hire you if you know how to give it. Be still. We, we got it. And we're surrendered to his love. But it is a lifelong journey. And, um, but it's, what's interesting is that that's what all of us are longing for. That's what the whole world is longing for. Stillness and surrendering to the perfect love of God. But, you know, like Jacob, your, job, your life is not a bundle of accidents and confusion. No, God's orchestrating your life. He's taking you somewhere. He loves you, and he's got a mission for you in life to do. He's got something for you here. And uh, the great news is, I tell you, the great news of the story of Jacob is this. If God can change Jacob, he can change me. If God chooses people like Jacob to be his servants for his purposes, wow, God does choose people like Peter and Thomas and, and um, you know, Nathaniel and, and James and John. God chooses Jacob's who are sinners and stubborn, and he breaks them and transforms them and uses them for his purposes. Friends, the great news of the gospel is we're all Jacob, all of us. But God's got us in his hands because he's going to transform us if it kills us. Because he loves you, and he's going to, as you read the story of Jacob, he is going to wrestle you to the ground. Now, there's an easier way than going than having to bear all the consequences of our stubbornness. And it's that of being still before him sooner and at a younger age and surrendering to his love, love at a younger age and a sooner time lest we have to go through everything Jacob went through. So let's close with this. Let's close with the Lord's Supper. And I want to invite the worship team to come on forward because really the question is, how can God save such sinners like me and you? And there's only one hope, and that's Jesus. Jesus, who when we come desperate and starving, He doesn't make a deal with us. He dies for us. And a birthright that we despise, he buys at the price of his blood, and he offers it to us. And he serves us. He washes our feet. He cleanses us. He comes after us. I mean, God comes after Jacob. God's coming after you. And uh, he purchases it with, with his own blood. I hope you enjoyed that message. Uh, on Jacob, the first of a few to come. What a tremendous, tremendous text and word for us. So let me invite you to go with me to emotionallyhealthy.org and check out what it's going to mean to actually begin to live a life where we're actually transformed from being Jacob grabber to an Israel, you know, one of God's people, you know, one who strives for God and hungers for God. And uh, let me encourage as well to uh, pick up and read uh, the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, uh, which really lays out, I believe, what it requires of us internally in terms of allowing ourselves to be transformed by God to become the kind of leaders that God calls us to. So pick up that book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader book, published by Zondervan. And I wrote, it's really my, my large answer to what it means to actually become the kind of leaders where we can build high and wide for Jesus externally out of a deep inner life of stillness, being with Jesus and one not driven by fear. Blessings, great to be with you. You have a wonderful day.